Okay, so welcome back to Music and More with me and my friend Pete Fletcher. Um, we're both really, really pleased with uh, how people have sort of received the first episode. You know, it's really, really nice. Got some really nice comments from people. Um, lots of people saying how much they like Pete as well, funnily enough. So it looks like Pete might be a regular, you know, always on the show, which I'm sure he's happy about. But so am I, do you know what I mean? If people like his input, it, it's really great to have him on. So how are you doing today, Pete? Good. I survived another week. I'm still on. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> no man it was uh, you know we had we had a good some good banter in that first episode so you know it, it's good to have someone else on someone to talk to so you know it, it's it's really cool but there's a few things we want to talk about isn't there into i mean you know more about this stuff than me pete in terms of you know the setup of the podcast where it is and all those sorts of things you know the proper yeah. website's now live and stuff but as i say you understand that more than i do yeah we're still putting you know we're still stitching a couple of things together you know, hopefully you can go to uh what you know www.musicandmorepodcast.com uh, we're working on the certificate it's still invalid so for the nerds out there yeah we're going to get a we're going to we're going to get a valid certificate <laughs> ssl certificate uh, but yeah, uh, we're also going to add some more show notes, right? We're going to have some links to stuff that we talk about, uh, some videos, because I know we've been referencing a lot of some of the, the videos that you've been doing on YouTube. So we'll make sure that we've got a, an ample show notes page for each episode so people can, you know, get to the things that we talk about pretty quickly. But yeah, so far, you know, I think it's going pretty well. We're using Podbean. I think Podbean's a pretty good host. So I think it does everything that we need. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know nothing about any of this stuff. I'm just glad that I've got you to sort of sift through all that stuff for me because even down to setting up the blooming account would have been a nightmare for me. You know, it's, it's just stuff that makes no sense to me. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I've had a pretty good week. Um, put out a few tweets last night, which I was quite pleased with. And it's weird with stuff like that because obviously early on with Twitter, I had no problem for content. And it's not like I've got a problem with for content now, but it's strange how things just sort of occur to me. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, I did those risks that no one's even ever heard? You know what I mean? And oh, I, yeah. sort of, I sort of overlooked them because you think, well, no one's ever heard them. Why would they be interested? But then you're like, well, you know, people people might get off on that sort of stuff. So I was re I was interested to put those out. And it's funny, you know, people were saying how instantly recognisable it is as, you know, sounds and songs from, you know, the era of which I were writing them. So that was quite interesting. But, you know, it got me thinking more about Twitter and stuff and how that fits into things. And, you know, I, I really enjoy, well, as I said last time, really, really still really really enjoy interacting with people it's going to be really it's going to be really exciting once um it, it's really leading up to the reunion show and you know starting to do more stuff more content on twitter and more rehearsal videos on youtube which i think everyone will be mm. really interested to see um, oh yeah yeah hopefully but you know the first one was the first one was so easy um you know that first practice so we'll have to see how much rehearsals we actually end up having to do but we were all obviously really pleased with how it went the first time yeah, those videos look pretty cool. It looked like everybody was having a good time, you know. And uh, you know, for that to be the first practice after a long time is uh, that—that's definitely saying something. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. We were all quite apprehensive about that—that that first practice. All of us, we, we didn't know how we were going to go. Do you know what I mean? It, we we didn't know whether. It, well, that that was that answered a lot of questions for us because it was one thing thinking about this the show, um, but we had to actually get in a room and work out if we could still play the songs. So we, were, we, we weren't dreading it, but it was certainly a turning point. And obviously it was such a relief that as soon as we started playing it, it was blatantly obvious that, you know, 
It's like it, we oh, yeah. all we all remember, and we can all still do it. It's just a case of you know remembering some of the structures and things like that, and little cues of when you're supposed to do stuff. But muscle memory is a fascinating thing, and it it runs so deep. And even yeah. when you when you stood there thinking, oh God, what do I do next? You nine times out of ten, your fingers seem to remember. Um, so yeah, that that'll be cool to put some more rehearsal videos out. That'll be really exciting. Um, oh definitely. heck yeah. I definitely got some questions about uh, rehearsal videos for you, for sure. But uh, I wanted to say, one time I saw, I used to go to, the, I go to these tech events every year. And at the end of the, the tech events, they have like a, a free concert and it's different bands. And I remember one year they had, they had Bon Jovi. <laughs> and uh, yeah, of all people. But anyway, <laughs> so I have to, there wasn't a ton of people watching, but <laughs> I was sitting side stage watching Bon Jovi. And, uh, and I noticed uh, he has a, a teleprompter. In front of him with all the words to his Oh, songs. really? Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. You, you just assume that, you know, if, an, if a musician writes or makes a song that they just always remember it, but apparently not the case. No, definitely not. There's a lot of people use those. A lot of, I mean, to be fair to someone like... I still get Bon Jovi was like what some sort of tech seminar was it and Bon Jovi oh, were playing. Yeah. I mean wh- yeah, what these they have these big conferences right so it'll be like 19,000 people and at the very end they'd throw this big party and so I've seen so many different bands but Bon Jovi was one of them one year Really that's that's amazing that I wonder how much they got paid for that I mean you couldn't pay me enough to do a gig at a tech event you know <laughs> not being funny but it's just like imagine that crowd oh I don't know maybe maybe I you know maybe I get a surprise in my life but well to be fair to someone like Bon Jovi I mean like God how many songs have they have they or he or whatever you know must have a lot of songs when you've got that many songs I suppose you know something like a teleprompter would be worth its worth its weight in gold at times yeah. but I know what you I know what you mean it's very easy to assume that most people would remember you know the words and guitar parts to songs and stuff but i mean it is easy to forget it is it but muscle memory is a powerful thing nonetheless yeah so I did have a question about uh, those practice rooms. So um, I always imagine like when you guys first started practicing, like what the room looks like, just out of curiosity. So that room that you guys used, is that one you've used before? Or is there a, is there a place where you guys used to go to practice? Was it just a room that you rented? How, how does that work out? Well, um, there's different ways of going about it. In the early days, in the very early days for us when we first formed, we used to practice um, in the local church hall, which was actually quite a good room, actually. You know, it was like a, like a church hall, so it had a stage. And then we'd also practice like upstairs in pubs and stuff like that and then when we started to get a bit more serious you go into what are called rehearsal rooms which are you know they're just like i don't know how to describe it really the, the rooms within rooms and you just you build them out of wood you know what i mean wooden frames and then they're all soundproof they're just little soundproof boxes effectively a rehearsal usually anyway you know again typically they're sort of quite dingy places are rehearsal rooms some some are nicer <laughs> than others and when we were you know when we were doing stuff it, you know it, it was always nice when you went to the posher rehearsal rooms because they were just a bit nicer but there's nothing wrong with the really dark and dingy ones um but yeah that one we were in then i don't think we've ever actually practiced there it was Iger studios in leeds so they have lots of re- um rehearsal rooms we did used to have a room there um not that particular one um our old one did fit the mold of the you know, just a sort of soundproof box, really, uh, with no natural light, so which can make a difference. Our our main practice room was on Kirksville Road in Leeds, um, in the basement of a big industrial building, and that was pitch black down there. And that goes back to the games of hide and seek that we're talking about on the YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. it was so dark down there that the only lights you had were the little flickering standby lights of equipment. Um, that you know that was a that was a pretty dark, dingy place. It was it was actually. A, it painted a really dark red color and i remember 
quite a few weeks, maybe even months actually, where we weren't really coming up with anything and we were all like in bad moods and we decided that it was the red paint on the walls and we had to paint it a nice neutral colour that was a bit brighter. Um, I think it actually did make a difference though, to be fair. But yeah, rehearsal rooms can can differ massively, but that one, a lot of people have said that looked like someone's conservatory or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you guys write songs and you guys are in these rooms, do you go in the room with an idea and then build on it? Or you guys just stare at each other and be like, uh, here's a riff. Uh, what does this sound like to you guys? I've always been curious how these uh, these bigger songs came about. Like you had an idea, you worked on it, and then you went into a practice room or they actually evolved there? It varies massively with us from song to song, from album to album, how we approached it. Um Certainly, there was occasions where we would literally just all look at each other and just go, all right, someone start doing something then. And, you know, someone would start doing something. Either Stu would start doing a bass line, Phil would start knocking out a drum beat. And, you know, there were times where we would play for, well, I bet we've played for longer than two hours, literally without stopping, just going through different sounds and you know, where you, where you end up, there's like tons of songs that you've just actually written. But And that's why we used to use DAT recorders. Um, because if, if we did have like a two-hour jam and there was quite a few different bits in it that were noteworthy, they'd be documented, you know what I mean? So they won't disappear. A DAT recorder, that's, what, was that, what does that mean? Was that, no, but, like well, a, a DAT recorder, I mean, it's just a little, it's like a DAT. It looks like a little cassette. I don't know what the technical ah, term okay. for a DAT is. I can't remember. It's been that long since I were in, uh, in the game, so to speak. But yeah, just a little tape recorder, basically. Um, um, with one microphone set up in the middle of the room so at least it would pick up what everyone was doing so they could yeah. remember the part. Um, but yeah, certainly f- for a lot of the first songs, like The Dance um, and Walls Get Smaller and a couple of others, uh, Human even, I think back then. But yeah, a lot of those were, they came from me sat in my bedroom messing around with my effects pedal and my guitar, coming up with something that I thought sounded cool. And then when we got to practice, I would start playing it and everyone else would join in. You know, we'd do it like that. Or, as I've said, Stu would come in with a baseline idea. There was there was lots of different ways of going about it. But I think for us in the early days, it was all very loose and free form, if you will. Do you know what I mean? We rarely talked about stuff other than that bit sounds great. Let's just hammer that some more until it sort of falls into place. And that's what we tended yeah. to do over these over these sprawling jams. Um, it, that was kind of the building process for songs do you know what i mean and it's the same for myself now it's that's how i work now i'll just play over something over and over again until it morphs and forms into what it naturally wants to be do you know what i mean um it's rarely well the only conscious thing is you going oh i like that do you know what i mean it's it's not as if you sit there going well let's take it that direction or take it in this direction that's all just subconscious and then it's you you know your your brain that says yep i like that that's the direction we're going in and it was it was always very instinctive with us four especially in the early days right through to you know right through to the end really regardless of you know the sort of music we were making it, it was always really instinctive feeding off each other and that's how that's how the songs were formed i mean disco Disco's a great example that really is a good example i mean we can talk more about this when we break down the songs properly but yeah. um that is a good example of what we used to do with jams and we'd be like well we like this bit and we like that bit and even though they don't really have and it, you know they have no right being put together that's what we've done and you know what i mean that transition between the two so that that's an example of our sort of writing oh, no. ethos if you know what i mean 
Yeah, well, heck, I heard I heard Paul McCartney say that uh, "Band on the Run" is actually three songs that he couldn't figure out, so he finally assembled them into one song. <laughs> I, I think that happens so. a lot. Yeah, I think that's quite common, and I'm finding that myself. When I first started writing in this period, now I was writing songs through to completion very quickly. What I'm tending to do now is I'm writing almost five or six, maybe even seven sort of separate ones, sometimes in a day or two days, and then you know very quickly deciding which bits I like and which I don't and you know slotting bits together never forcing them together but that's the point if you spend one day writing seven or eight songs they're going to be in a similar place if you know what i mean yeah um so at at, at that point you know because sometimes you've got like a cracking chorus and then you've got a verse that's pretty good but you're like well you know the chorus is good enough that that's all right whereas if you've written a lot more you can go all right well that verse worked but you know the verse i wrote t- two hours ago that works even better or you know in 15 minutes time you might write another bit and then you're like right there's the verse that makes that chorus work um so yeah there's lots of different interesting ways of doing things certainly yeah well i know you and i think you've mentioned this before uh some of the stuff that you mentioned that i remember was on some of the videos but then also it has just been some of our personal conversations but you said um you know different experiences for the different albums right so you know first album you guys were whatever bars churches uh, church halls and and then ultimately renting out a space and 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 boom there's the album and then the welcome to the north was was a totally different experience because you guys were in in in, uh, georgia and then I would imagine, and I'm curious how that went, how that played out. But was that a situation where they like rented a place for you in Georgia and was like, "Okay, you have X amount of days, get it done." Was it like that? Yeah, it it very much was like that, to be honest. Um, and they, again, this is a this is a, a topic in itself, and probably even a whole show in itself. But yeah, I mean, it's a cliche really for most bands that you have you have your entire youth to write your first album. And then your second album, you have like three months. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because, as I say, it's a long conversation, but to a degree, we were sort of a victim of our own success at that first album because it, it, you know, people wanted to see us. So we were all over the world for, what was it, two or three years, I think. We sort of toured that first album all the while, yep. not really in a situation to write properly. So, yeah, it kind of very much was a case of we came to the end of touring that record and you know the american label very much so were like okay now you know we want album number two and you know we we didn't have a lot of time to get that together we really didn't um so and yeah we didn't have a lot of time to prep for it either i think it was a case of you going to america next week lads and we were like <laughs> really because you know, we, we'd literally just got back from touring and they're like yeah you're going back because well i mean capital the american label I mean, I've never really, I mean, I should speak to Tim and Tony about it a bit more in detail, really, but I never really understood how that worked. You know, our first record really felt like it was run or managed or put together by, you know, everyone at Hut. And I don't know that it kind of was like, when it was the second album, it was like the American label were like, okay, it's our turn now. Do you know what I mean? You got to, you know, the, the UK lot ran with it. For the first album it's our turn to run with it now i might be totally wrong about that but that's very much the mm. it's very much the picture that i got and you know they were really keen for us to work with an american producer and stuff which obviously i had nothing against at all and when it would turned out that it was brendan o'brien i was absolutely over the moon about that um absolutely thrilled about it and i have a lot of great memories recording that album and i love that album as a whole but there's no doubt that there is a wider story to how that album was made and the the circumstances 
under which that album was made. Um, there's no doubt there is a wider point around that which isn't so rosy. Especially, well, I think for all of us, you know, we were we were shot after that th- those those three years of touring. You know, we were we were young and we were we were not burnt out, but you know, we needed some sort of break and we didn't really get it. And there was quite a lot of pressure to create this second album. And you know, to be fair, I think we did pretty pretty good. To be fair, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, and a lot, a uh, lot. Welcome of it, to the North, bleed. Yeah, bleed yeah. I mean, yeah, within, man. I mean, a lot of the, your, yeah, forget a lot it. of the stuff really came together out there. I mean. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember sort of what we had when we went out there. I mean, I think we had most of it, other than open your mind and a couple of other things. It was just a case of um, sitting down there with Brendan and sort of putting the putting some of the songs into a better structure. Um, a lot of them already were pretty much there, but and as I say, I'll, I can talk for ages about the amazing stories recording that record and how much I loved it. You know, because I was just doing guitar takes all day. It was awesome, man. Do you know what I mean? Brilliant for me. Absolutely loved it, but it was a difficult time for us. It's certainly a difficult time for us. We've been bashed about a bit on the road, not in a bad way, just, you know, we were young and Mm -hmm. having fun. So I don't know. And it's advice that doing it all again, I'd do it differently, I think. I think maybe a lot of people, well, I say that. You know, I would want to in (laughs) hindsight. um, In reality, whether I'd actually be able to do that, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, uh, there was quite a lot of pressure on that second record, as you can imagine. Because the first one did so well, did so well yeah. in so many different places, and then I suppose that's the point: is when you you don't exist and you burst onto the scene, you've got no one to please, and you kind of write your own rules, and, and there are no boundaries. The second that you get success, even you know to the relatively small degree that we did, I mean, you know, we did we did quite well, especially in the UK, and that we were we were big time when we came out. And um, but as soon as you get any sort of success, a lot more is expected from you, a lot more is demanded from yeah. you. Um, suddenly there are deadlines, and whereas before it was like, you know, just do what you do, lads, you know, do what you do, and let us know when you're ready. You know, suddenly it was like, right, we've got three months here, and we need this record out, mixed mastered, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so anyway. To get back to your actually original question, which I think I might have skirted over. Uh, yeah, what we did out there was we recorded the second album at a place called Southern Tracks in Georgia. And it's not it wasn't in the it, it's not that it wasn't the greatest area. Well, let's be frank, it wasn't the greatest area. But not only that, <laughs> it was very sort of um, what's the word sort of industrial. So there was nothing to do. Do you know what I mean? So we were literally in a pretty a pretty bog standard sort of hotel for 10 weeks, nine weeks we were there. Was yeah. that in Atlanta? In, in Atlanta, yeah, yeah. Mm, there's some pretty shady areas over there. It's a nice area. Some areas are beautiful, but yeah, you can you get lost, you get well, in trouble. That's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't want to talk out of turn about anything or anyone ever. I'd hate to think I'd done that. But yes, that area was pretty rough. It was pretty scary. Do you know what I mean? Um, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And the hotel wasn't very far. So you just, you know, walk to and from the hotel. But it was very, I don't know, it, it wasn't a very nice place to spend a lot of time. The studio was, don't get me wrong. And that's where we were the majority of the time. But, you know, yeah. I've got, we've got lots of funny stories about that hotel and, you know, the, the stuff that went on there. But yeah, so we were in the hotel for nine weeks and because the studio wasn't actually a residential one like um, like Jacobs where we recorded the first album. That was actually residential. Um, so this one, yeah, we were effectively in the hotel for nine weeks in this, you know, n- not not fantastic area uh, of Atlanta. <laughs> wow. Well, you, you did tell me one story that I thought was pretty interesting. So you had most of the uh, the stuff that you wanted to record, but you didn't have the one of the probably the more popular songs on, on the second album, Open Your Mind. And you shared a little story. I'd love to hear some more about that, the, how, how that actually came about with you and Rob. Yeah, um, 
I think I think basically because we'd gone out there, what you would refer to as unprepared, but that that's us all over. That was always us. You know, we were always unprepared for tours, or we just used to wing it. And that's what was so good about us. We could pull it off. We just used to wing it. So anyway, now I can't remember whether we thought we had a song in the bag and then when we recorded it, we thought, no, this don't really work. But whatever the scenario, Brendan effectively turned around and said, we need another song. Yeah, we need it. And we were like, well, you know, we've, that, we've kind of pulled from all the resources we had in terms of going into this record. So there isn't anything there. So I just said to Rob, come on, you know, I'll get a guitar. Let's go out in the car park and see what we can do. So anyway, we went out into the car park and there was like a bollard just sort of uh, at the end of the path as you walk up to the studio. So I sort of half sat on this bollard with his guitar and started strumming, found that chord sequence after about three seconds, Rob started singing and I think that were it. I think that was literally <laughs> it. I think I start, I came up with that chord sequence and thought, right, I'll split that and use that bit as the chorus. So that's done after about three or four seconds. He started singing very quickly. It was in that, again, like me and Rob, it was always like an organic process. It, the song just sort of fell out in front of us. So after about five minutes or maybe a little bit more, we played through it a couple of times just to make sure it was as good as we thought. But yeah, we, we um, played through it a couple of times and then came back inside and we're like, right, we've got one. Yeah, because that's a pretty powerful chorus. I can only imagine like the beginning of that chorus and you guys hear it. I could just imagine the look on your faces like, yeah, we need to go inside and record this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's the, for me, that's the joy of writing music is, well, it's just, I suppose it's simple, really. You stood there with nothing and then suddenly you've got, you know, something great. Well, hopefully, you know, most of the time it's, yeah. and it's, it's difficult to describe that relief, I suppose, especially when you're like, look, we need a song. We ain't got enough, you know, we need another one. It's like, oh, right, no pressure then. Um, but, you know, whether that was when we worked best. It was a similar situation with Flo, actually, on the first album. And, you know, I don't know whether this is something we want to get into in too much detail, but I suppose now I've started, it's, a, it's all along a similar vein. But we had another song for the first album, and we recorded it through, you know, um, to a large extent, actually, we nearly finished it. And it was, I remember sitting there and just suddenly thinking, oh my God, it's, you know, it's Streets Have No Name by U2, which, you know, it's one of my, <laughs> one of my favourite songs of all time, don't get me wrong, but it was like, you know, it, it's not like it's reminiscent of it. it. It sounds exactly like it. So I were like, right, you know, we can't do that. And so we were like, well, what are we going to do? So we, we effectively, what did we do? I think, we, did we leave the drums as they were? I can't remember, but we, we pulled we pulled a few basic elements out of that song and turned it into Float in about 20 minutes. That was another one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was another one where everyone was plugged into the board and, you know, we just we were printing and we just we just sort of played out Float, really. And that, sort of, that was like a, another a one-take wonder, as you call them, where you get a little mm. bit of a tune going, you pass the thing at microphone and you start belting something out and you're like, there, there it is, I don't need, you know... We don't need to hear anything else. That's perfect. Um, yeah. So yeah, Float came around in similar circumstances, really. A little bit of pressure sat there thinking we actually need this song as a as a number, you know, to, to fill up the album. Not filler, but you know what I'm saying. You, you want 10 songs or... Um, so yeah, that, that was a similar situation, I suppose. Well, man, it seems like you guys work pretty good under pressure. So uh, I, I tell you what, I'm going to assign you guys pressure for Temple Newsome. So uh, when we have the concert in May, you know, your homework assignment is to come with at least one new song. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh well i mean you put you are putting pressure on us there <laughs> well, you, you do well under pressure so this is i'm helping you <laughs> well it, it's a it's an interesting point it's an interesting point i mean you know the reunion show as i've already said in terms of 
practicing for it we were we were really apprehensive about it in terms of whether we could still do it and it's it, you know we've done it with real baby steps which has been nice we've taken little steps at a time where because that's effectively where the kitchen videos came from that me and rob were releasing through mine and his twitter on, on youtube and stuff yeah um that was that was me and rob you know thinking about the possibility of doing the show and going right okay well the first step is you, you know you come around here with a guitar and i'll sing and let's see what happens let's see you know let's see how it works so that's what the kitchen videos were originally um and that that worked so well and you know me and rob hadn't seen each other for a long time before those either so you know there was a lot of i don't know there's a lot there was a lot of good energy about those you know those kitchen videos or whatever but that like i say that was the first step to getting us towards actually playing um Mm. but it's gonna be it's gonna be enough for us to get the set going properly and feel good about it and get it going. I mean, like I say, we know what we're doing, but at the same time, for for the music to think about creating a new song, um, you know, I don't... That's not, that is not something we're thinking about. It's as simple as that. That's not something that's on our agenda, really. We're, the music certainly are focused on getting ready for this Temple Newsom gig in May and, you know, providing it goes ahead. Um and making sure that we're good enough, do you know what I mean, to warrant actually getting on the stage, which I'm not I'm not worried about at all. I know we will be good enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Doing a new song, that sort of frightens me a bit, I guess. I don't know. It's a, it's a, a lot of pressure and, you know, people don't want to hear new songs at gigs. That's the last thing they want to hear, isn't it? People just want to hear you play the classics. Um, Listen, if you, <laughs> I'll disagree and say that if you guys came out and surprised everybody with one, two, no pressure, but if it happened, I don't think anybody would be disappointed. I promise. No, well, no, fair point. No, um, I don't know. As I say, it, that was one thing that, because I suppose it ties into the listening party stuff, really, and the whole Twitter thing in general is, um, I think, managing people's expectations. And I think it's something I've addressed a few times in my videos. But managing people's expectations of what the music are going to do, if you know what yeah. I mean. Um, because I th- I don't know, there's a lot of people sort of saying, oh, you're back together and stuff. And it's like, well, oh yeah, we're back together for that show in May. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It's... That's not that's not the same as being back exactly. together as a band and and writing material. You know, everyone everyone's got very uh, busy separate lives now. So oh yeah, it, you know, sort of anything like that would only happen if everyone was in the right headspace to do it and had the desire to do it. And I don't know, man, it, that's a long conversation in itself. So I'll say this then: if you if you guys decide to do that, don't tell anybody, not even me. Just make it a complete surprise. This way, you know, nobody expects it. But if it happens, it happens. But yeah, I I I'm with you though. I don't I don't expect it. I mean, as a fan of the music, I think it's going to be great to have a reunion. Heck, I'm going all the way across the globe to see it. But and that's that's plenty. I mean, that's that's really uh, that's enough. Anything else is gravy. Yeah, man. Heck, I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing this Temple Newsom. I, I've never I mean I've only seen it online. It looks pretty cool. How did that even come about? Like, so how did, maybe you can take me back to like, how did this actually happen? I know for a while the music was playing great music and all of a sudden there's three albums and there's hints of a little bit of a, of a fourth Then all of a sudden nothing for a long time. And then out of nowhere, you're on, you're on Twitter. So maybe you can help me understand uh, how that actually started to you know happen again. Yeah. Well, as you say, um, we kind of, we disappeared off the face of the planet, didn't we really? Which is, again, I know I say this a lot, but that is a long conversation and one that we will have. But in terms of in terms of sort of the situation, getting on Twitter and everything and the gig, um, it was all a result of Tim Burge's listening party, effectively. Um, 
again, this is a long conversation, but I hadn't really spoken to anyone involved in the music for a long time, you know, close to 10 years, nine years, something, maybe 10 years, you know, other than very sort of brief and administrative things more than anything. So it was strange because all of a sudden a WhatsApp group appeared on my phone and it was the managers, you know, with everyone sort of copied in or whatever. And it was talking about Tim Burgess doing a listening party for the first album and, you know, would we like to be involved? That sort of stuff. So without wanting to get too much into a lot of it, I was a little bit hesitant really because the music and everything, it was a difficult memory for me to access almost and I've deliberately not accessed it for quite a long time really just to make my life easier I think so the prospect of well I mean obviously initially I was like well first of all I'm not on any social media and second of all what's a listening party um yeah. which is yeah which we obviously all know is a very very clever concept that Tim Burgess has come up with during lockdown I believe anyway to to try and you know do something to to fill the void left by live music and other things yeah. like that so obviously that was all explained um and I think the reaction that we got to the announcement of the listening party was the start of a ball rolling, if you know what I mean. I don't think any of us realised the amount, as I've said before, I don't think any of us realised the the amount of good feeling there still was towards us. So to see, when it was announced and all the sort of likes coming in and as I say, I didn't really understand it still at the time. I, all this stuff was just getting copied into the band WhatsApp. So I was sort of seeing it all thinking, wow, this is, you know. And obviously I had to start a Twitter to take part in it. And as I've said previously, I did consider not taking part in it because it felt like it would, I didn't know if it was a healthy thing for me to do then. I didn't know how it would make me feel. But obviously mm. in retrospect, it's been the catalyst for some really great stuff for me and, and a, a huge turning point in my life, which is why I actually, you know, I, I sent a tweet out to directly thanking Tim Burgess um, because of how, you know, what a pro profound effect I'd felt that that process had had on my life um, for the better. And it reconnected me with, well, it reconnected me with the rest of the band and the managers and it reconnected me with our history and our songs. And as I say, sort of the band in general, it's hard to it's hard to sort of explain it properly and do it do it justice how distant I was from anything to do with not only the the music, but you know, music in general. You know, I literally I didn't listen to music for ten years because I found it too painful really in terms of what it reminded me of and you know, without wanting to get too much into it, what it reminded me that I'd lost or what I no longer had, do you know what I mean? Um, these sorts of things. So to be in a situation to be reconnected with not only the band and everyone in it, but just sort of music in general, which is a wider thing in itself because, you know, tied to music for me is the majority of my memories, as it probably is for most people. But it's such a, it's such a, you know, a sort of vein running through my life that all sorts of things are branched off as music, as I'm sure it is for everyone else. So that, that gave me access to all sorts of memories all sorts of stuff, oh, so, yeah. you know, that's, all, that's why that listening party was so significant for me, especially. I mean, again, I'm talking for myself here. I'm sure the other lads would have interesting things to say about it, but certainly talking from my own point of view, it was such a turning point and a catalyst. And yeah, it re it's reconnected me with stuff that I'd completely forgotten about. And so that in turn effectively led to the idea of doing this one show because, you know, we, did, we didn't want the pressure of... Anything more than that, really. You know, we hadn't done yeah. it for so long. We hadn't spoke to each other for so long. 
It just and it, I think it was Future Sound who I don't know whether they suggested it or whether it was something I don't know who suggested it anyway. But it very quickly became a case of right, well, you know, we've got this offer to to play Temple News in in 2021, which was incredibly exciting, but at the same time, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I would say that'd probably be a little scary at the same time. <laughs> Massively scary, especially when it were like, yeah, you know, ten or fifteen thousand or whatever it is. I think it's technically fifteen. You know, it's a lot of people to to let yeah. down if you're not very good. And you know, that's what I mean when I was like, well, it's all well and good saying this stuff in principle, but I, I haven't played guitar for ten years. You know, I've been gardening <laughs> and doing other stuff. And you know, when I started gardening, my hand, my hands went through like a, a quite a few a long time of change, if you know what I mean, like all sorts of different pains and stuff. And I, I remember, you know, using power tools, so vibrations, you know, some mornings I literally could not mm. open my fists. They were literally closed and I had to prise my hands open. So I was thinking to things like that wow. and thinking, am I even going to be able to play? Um, and I, I'd not even had the things out of the cases in 10 years, literally just been sat in cases. So I, I didn't even know if I could still play the guitar as well, whether that sounds daft or not. If you hadn't done something for that long, you're well within yeah. your rights to think, well, I might not be able to do that like I did. But lo and behold, when I actually did, you know get a guitar out and start playing it it thank god it went a lot better than i envisaged it would to be fair but you know very much like the the first band rehearsal did um yeah hey for those that don't know what the listening party is i me for example i didn't know what it was until after it happened and i was actually pretty pissed because i was like oh that would have been great to listen to and then i found out you actually can listen to it after the fact so we'll leave a link on the show notes but you can actually go to the page still and then you just basically play the first album from beginning to end and then listen to the commentary. It's a really cool experience to sit there, listen to this album, and then see the the tweets coming in from the different folks of the band and other folks. So Tim Burgess, hats off for the idea. And uh, yeah, I was really glad that you guys did that for the first album. I would recommend doing it for the other two albums, as a matter of fact. I think that would be pretty cool. Is that something that they talked about? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. It, that I don't know if that's a possibility. I've certainly seen that a lot of people saying, you know, when's the next when's the listening party for the second album i'd certainly be up oh, yeah. for it man it'd be cool i i really enjoyed that first one i, I don't need to say do you know what I mean? i'm sure everyone knows but it was just such a great experience connecting with all these people that loved the songs and, and loved us it was just brilliant I, I, i'll never forget that but like you say it's such a genius concept but for, it took a long time for me to get my head around it I, you know i was like well where does where does the music come from and you're like oh and no you have to play it yourself all right, so I have to press play at the same time as pressing play on there. And like, yeah, it's like, well, once you get your head around that, it's, it makes perfect sense. And yeah. as you say, you can actually physically replay it and see all the tweets come in um, in the same time that they did when it, when it went out live. So it's, it's a really, really clever idea. Really clever idea. Yeah, those listening parties are brilliant. Hey, and it, it resulted in a reunion, which is, man, I'm, I'm super stoked for. Um, have you guys actually started talking about set list yet? And uh, are you taking requests? How's that, how's that going to work out? Because <laughs> I had an idea. Like, you should literally, like, on this podcast, maybe, like, set up a poll, maybe, and then, like, have listeners, that, you know, because I know everyone's going to say they want to hear, like, cessation and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see. I'd be curious to see what the fan set list looked like, uh, in addition to see, love to see what you guys were considering for a set list. Yeah, I suppose that's that's a long conversation again. I don't think... We, I mean, I've made it clear. I've sort of said, look, I, I'd like to decide what we're going to do set this wise because, you know, with everyone being so busy and stuff, we don't want to be rehearsing songs that we're not going to be playing, if you know what I mean. So, you know, for example, there's a lot of songs from our back catalogue that people love that we never worked up live. And that sounds confusing, I know. But, you know, things like um, Karma, sort of how that came about, 
it was kind of difficult to do that in a live environment. So we sort of never did, certainly in terms of how it is on the record anyway. Yeah. But it's interesting doing the kitchen videos that we did. You know, we did Karma, and it actually sounds kind of cool like that. So Stripped. Yeah. It, it's a, I don't really know. I think that we have, a dis, we have a conversation to have amongst ourselves about what people feel comfortable playing and what they don't feel comfortable playing. Because I, 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 I'd be interested, as you say, to see how fans feel about what songs they want to hear. But primarily, it's got, you know, we've got to be happy with the set list and got to be happy rehearsing it and those sorts of things. And it is difficult, you know, like songs like Cessation. <laughs> you know, Phil doesn't particularly the enjoy playing that because it's yeah, exactly, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And and Phil's in the same situation as me. You know, it's not as if he's been practicing drumming over the last um, sort of 10 years or however long he's been doing other things. So getting back <sighs> up to that kind of speed, you know, could take a lot. But then, you know, the stuff like breaking and that, that, you know, you really love and a lot of people really love. But I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not you know, we've all got, we've all got our own tunes where we're like, oh, Come on, let's not bother playing that. You know. <laughs> now listen, I, I get it. I get the. Uh, 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 uh. I, I know you don't love that part, whatever. But the the whole song is really good. The guitar is fantastic on it. It's a it's a brilliant song. Listen, I, yeah. When you said you were in a, a, as into into breaking, yeah, I took that personal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, it's, to be honest, it's a long time since I've listened to that song. I don't hate it or anything. You know, I'm not. There's just parts of our back catalogue I like more than others. But yeah, the set list, I don't know. This, I mean, it, it is. A, this is something that probably needs talking about as well, is the effect that any sort of corona regulations are going to have on if this gig takes part. Do you know what I mean? And that was another. That's mm. that's another thing that ties into rehearsals and things like that. Is there's, there's no point getting head over heels into rehearsals and you know because it costs money. Um, spending all that money for it to get cancelled. So you know we're kind of trying to see. Not hedging his bets, but we don't want to start rehearsing until we're really after. Do you know what I mean? Until we're sure it's going to go ahead. Because I'm pretty sure it's not going to take us that long to, to get stuff together. Well, then set up a GoFundMe page. We'll fund the practices so it happens no matter what. No, I mean, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, um, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a good deal with Future Sound anyway. So they're going to cover a certain amount of rehearsals, which is cool. Because, it, it, you know, it takes the pressure off us a little bit i mean don't get me wrong it's not gonna be a lot of money for rehearsals but you know these things yeah. do um do cost money and you know to make it to and make time it, yeah 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 and, and time which you know obviously time is money and just to make it a good show do you know what i mean he's gonna that is gonna cost money in terms of the production side of things and making sure we've got a great light show because that's something that's so intrinsic i think to our our live experiences lights and you know our first i remember our first sort of album tour we had such great lights um they make such a difference in a live situation, the quality of your lights. Not only your lights, but your lighting engineer. So, you know, we're going to be pulling out all the stops in terms of making this the, the mm -hmm. best show it can be. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of the set list, that is, that's something that we're going to have to get into and work out how to do it. And I don't know... Um, because there's so many songs that I would want to see on the set list. Like for me, no danger. I want to, I want that on the list. Is, is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean... I don't know. It's it's a difficult thing to talk about on the podcast, really. Um, really? Well, it's it's to a point, I think. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, for me, well, it all depends what people want from a live show. But I do feel that there are those sort of fans out there of every band, of every single band. But I feel that there are those fans out there that deliberately want you to play every most obscure B-side. You know what I mean? <laughs> from every dark yeah. corner of your mind like i don't know but you know not not in for any contrived reason or anyway but just 
that's what they want to hear. And I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a lot of bands out there that are just tech take requests off audience and play it, but we've never been that sort yeah. of band. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, you know, the set list, it is a good point. It is a very good point. And I'll tell you what, whatever we do, there will be some unhappy people. You can't please everyone with set lists. Certainly, personally, for me, I'd like to have something that differentiates it from The Last Dance. Do you know what I mean? I personally don't just want to do another Last Dance. Although... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The last dance is full of what we would consider to be the smashers that we would walk yeah. on stage and play. So yeah, the people, I'm, fire, blah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, man. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's true of every band. There's, there's a grey area for every band in which there is what they want to do and play versus what their fans think that they should want to do and should want to play. And Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's certain... I, I would have to say that if I ever saw the music and they didn't play Take the Long Road and Walk It, I would feel cheated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's obviously, uh, to me, there are certain songs that have to make the set list. You know, I, I don't think people would argue, but I agree. There's probably a much grayer area in terms of what makes a list. But I would love to, I'd love to have that conversation and hear what, you know, the other guys from the band think about, like, uh, what makes a good set list. So, yeah, I don't know if that's something that you guys plan to do to announce in advance because most bands don't do that right no. they usually just play it so yeah, yeah so. no we, i mean because if we announce a set list i think you'd yeah. i mean you know I'm, I'm all for like little polls and stuff to see sure. uh, what people want to hear i'm all for that and if it's workable we'll do it but no i mean i'm not necessarily into well i mean as i say it's a great area where people have different ideas about what should happen mm -hmm. i'm sure there's some bands whose set list is purely driven by fans do you know what i mean there'll be some bands that are like you lot decide amongst yourselves and then tell us what we're playing and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm trying to think of an example, but there are tons out there. I saw the Foo Fighters and I was front row and uh, Dave Grohl stopped and uh, he was like, he literally was like, what do you want to hear? And it was like super quiet. And I was like, no one said anything. So I screamed, enough space. And uh, he looked down and he goes, all right, we're playing enough space and started playing. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, that we could do that with certain songs, but we couldn't do that with our entire back catalogue. Because I say, as I say, some of them, are, some of them exist just in the moment they're created and then they never, never come back. You know, they're printed and they're on the B side or whatever and they never come back because we yeah. never play them. Do you know what I mean? Because they just don't work. We never worked them into our live environment, which I suppose is an, a totally separate conversation in itself. But I don't know. I've always been one that's like to know what's going on on stage. You know, a couple of the other lads might be like, you know, I'm all for just like a random jam me. Do you know what I mean? Like play some tunes and then just start jamming. <sighs> the thing with jams is they can go, they, they can go well or they can be rubbish. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I've just never, although I've said we work well in under pressure in a studio environment, under pressure in a live environment, something totally different. You know, in terms of I like to have a grip on what's happening. I like to know what I'm doing and I like to be experienced at it. Do you know what I mean? So like tunes like oh, yeah. Ta Take the Long Road to I, um, you know, all the stuff that was at the last dance. I know I'm inside out. You start asking me to play. Well, I don't know, you know. Well, there's lots of tunes I could name where you're like, if you start asking me to play that, that's forcing me to do some work. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a difficult thing. I do I do actually find it difficult to talk about, really, because I do, you know, I can be quite frank about things and I don't like to I don't like to upset people really, do you know what I mean? But there's certainly an element of, you know, we'll do whatever we need to to get through this and make these shows great. And as I've already said, there'll be some people that aren't happy with the set list and there'll be some people that are, you know, like not everyone that's coming to this gig is going to know, um, you know, the, the, the more obscure B-sides. Just because I'm alone, maybe? 
Well, yeah, stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? People Symbol of hope. Yeah, people aren't necessarily <laughs> going to know those songs. So I don't know. I've probably spent too the much. Rain. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are all great tunes, and they're all of a similar. In, they're all similar in the sense that they were songs that existed in the moment. Well, they were you know, like rain, the rain, and stuff like that. That was one that came out of my bedroom. Um, as were a lot of them, really, to be oh, honest. Yeah. But because, especially the ones that come out of my bedroom for the third album, I'd built them up so much in computers and electronically that bringing them into a live environment again was a totally different scenario and one that we just, oh, ne- yeah. yeah, one that we just never got round to. Do you know what I mean? Um, we did so much touring; it become it became like the set menu. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, the set menu, man. Do you know what I mean? All the all the hits. You know, none of the sort of. You know, none of the obscure stuff because you don't want people stood there going, what's this? There's two different types of people out there. There are people who just want to hear your smash hits and they're not interested in what else. And then there's people who sort of, you know, they want to hear the more obscure stuff. And that's why with a set list, you're never going to please everyone. And it'll be the same with (laughs) us four. You know, us four trying to get a set list. You know, every one of us at some point will be like, I'm not playing that. I can't be bothered playing that. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's got got to be enjoyable for everyone, man. And yeah. um, Fair enough. I probably have spent too much airtime discussing the set list, but I think it's a sensitive area, and it becomes a point of I don't I don't care what anyone else thinks. Really, it do, it does it does ultimately <laughs> come down to that in the end. It, yeah. will, it will be what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm on Twitter at v Pedro Arrow, and so anybody who's listening that it has any input on the set list, uh, hit me up. I'm curious. Uh, maybe we'll start some uh, conversation around what would make a good set list. Not that it's uh, something that they uh, that you respond to, but it, I, I'm certainly curious to see what would make a good set list. Yeah, I'm curious too. I, I am definitely curious. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, when we start rehearsals, if things are going well and that, you know, it's going to be easier to go, all right, let's start, you know, let's play around that and see how that goes. But certainly if it's if it's not easier and it's a little bit like, I don't know, like a struggle, it's going to be difficult to to bring things in that we're not familiar with. Do you know what I mean? It is going to be difficult because it all depends on how much time we've got and how much of how much time availability everyone else has got as well to, yeah. to to do the rehearsals. And don't get me wrong, you know, we will put every effort into this, but it's a it's a quite a big stepping stone. Is it's thinking about new material for it? Do you know what I mean? That's not yeah. that yeah. is not something I'm thinking about certainly. Um, but you know, you, you just don't know. But the fact still remains is we still don't know whether it's actually going to happen, do we? But it better happen, man. It, uh, that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, but, uh, it, yeah. it, it will happen. It will happen. There's no doubt it will happen. And that, you know, that that's another thing as well is because this process has reforged our relationship as a band, but also as friends, that's why yeah. that's why it will still happen regardless of Corona. Hopefully we'll live in a world where the restrictions are eased enough or people find ways around it to, to, to make live music happen again. And so mm-hmm. in the event that the reunion next year does get cancelled, as I say, we're back in a position where we, we get along again so it, it will happen because that was something that stood in the way before our relationships weren't what they were originally principally because we just spent so much time with each other do you know what i mean and oh yeah that's normal yeah sweet well man that makes i think that's a pretty good second episode um yeah let's a lot more to talk about and uh i'm looking forward to coming on more episodes with you man this has been great for those that are listening, that you know, if there's a topic that you want to hear, uh, if you got questions, yeah, hit, hit me up on Twitter at v Pedro Arrow, and uh, maybe we can uh, start to formulate, get you know, get some questions answered. Maybe uh, you know, come up with some new topics. But there's plenty to uh, discuss, as we mentioned. So I'm looking forward to a lot more of these. Yeah, me too. It's been, you know, I've really enjoyed it again, and you know, it's good having you here to keep me under control, so I don't talk about length about too many different things. You know, keep it interesting for everyone. 
But that is certainly something that might be interesting if people, um, you know, because obviously people can ask me on questions on Twitter and stuff like that, but, I, you know, I don't have the character count to always answer them properly. So we thought it might be quite interesting, as Pete says, if you get in touch with him on Twitter and then he, he, he can sort of collate people's questions and pick from those some interesting ones that it might be, you know, um, cool for me to talk about, stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, really appreciate everyone that's listened again and we're I mean, really enjoying doing these. I mean, me and Pete get on so well anyway. We love we love having these conversations, so it's just a case of pressing record on them, really. But, yeah, um, thank you for listening again and we'll speak to you all soon. Thank you. Bye.